Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. My name is Joe Tang and I'll be your host for this afternoon's presentation titled Energy Efficiency, America's First Fuel. The Yale Center for Business and the Environment is pleased to present our fifth annual online webinar series. This year's series will emphasize the latest developments and opportunities from, for energy efficiency in the private sector. Through weekly presentations from leaders in the corporate, nonprofit, and public-private arenas, we will explore a range of topics around energy efficiency. We are very happy today to host Kateri Callahan, President of the Alliance Save Energy, as our Blueprint for Efficiency kickoff speaker for the 2011 and 2012 year. Kateri's talk today will highlight why energy efficiency is America's first fuel. Kateri will discuss the changing landscape of, of, of the energy efficiency sector by highlighting the potential for energy efficiency legislation, as well as the new opportunities emerging across the energy efficiency landscape. Kateri will explore the necessary tenets to deliver energy efficiency at scale and showcase trends being deployed by private sector companies who are leading by example as they build their own energy efficiency portfolios. Kateri Callahan brings more than 20 years of experience in policy advocacy, fundraising, coalition building, and organizational management to her position as president of the Alliance Save Energy. Serving as president of ASC since January 2004, Kateri leads a staff of nearly 100 people, oversees a budget of approximately $15 million annually, and works with the Alliance Board of Directors, which includes members of Congress, state and local officials, and top corporate and NGO executives, to establish and oversee the core objectives and strategic plans for the organization. Prior to joining the Alliance, Kateri served for 11 years as the President and Executive Director of the Electric Drive Transportation Association, a nonprofit organization promoting battery, hybrid, and fuel cell transportation technologies. She has also served as a Director of Government Relations for a nonprofit organization and as a non-lawyer professional at a Washington, D.C.-based law firm, and as a legislative assistant to a U.S. Senator. Before we begin, we would like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions that you might have. Please type them directly into the GoToMeeting chat window during Kateri's talk, and we will direct them to her at the conclusion of the talk. Um, with that, I'd like, to welcome Kateri Cal I'd like to welcome Kateri Callahan to Blueprint for Efficiency. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'd like to start by thanking Joe and the other good folks at Yale Blueprint for Efficiency webinar series for inviting me to be the first uh, in the series this year. Uh, one of the pleasures of working with the Alliance to Save Energy over the past eight years has been the opportunity to meet some of the most talented and committed young folks coming out of schools around the country, and uh, Joe Tang, is one of those. He, uh, he mentioned before he got on the line that once an alliance intern, always an alliance intern. And we were quite proud to have him work with us uh, for a number of years before going on to DOE and, and now to Yale. So with that, let me just give you a brief overview of what I'm going to talk about this morning and then get right into the subject matter. Uh, I do want to introduce you to the Alliance to Save Energy, uh, but I won't spend a, a great deal of time on that. Um, then talk about why energy efficiency has proven to be such an important resource to the United States, and talk a bit about uh, what we see as game changers in terms of investment opportunities, um, in terms of creating competitiveness, of improving the environment, and really doing that through energy efficiency. So we've put a tagline here of using these game changers to create decade of energy efficiency. Uh, I will spend a, a bit more time on public policy than any other area because we see public policy as really the foundational tool for overcoming challenges and distortions in the marketplace uh, to allow us to deliver energy efficiency at scale. And finally, uh, finally I will uh, talk a little bit, I call it my crystal ball, about what I see in terms of the future for energy efficiency and whether or not through a public policy perspective and through engagement with businesses, we really will be able to make this current decade the decade of energy efficiency. So with that, a little bit about the Alliance. As Jill mentioned, we've got a staff of, clear, of almost 100 professionals right now. We've been around, and this is very important, I think, for three decades plus. Uh, we were actually created as a result of the first energy crisis and the oil embargo in the U.S. Uh, in the 70s. And we were created with a very specific and a narrow mission, which is to advance energy efficiency. And we do that not just for the environmental benefits that accrue from using energy more efficiently, but also, and very importantly, I think right now, when we're in the economic downturn that we're experiencing, 
experiencing because energy efficiency can deliver a healthier economy and it can also enhance our energy security. Uh, as you can see, we have a budget of about $15 million. We're actually going to top $16 million this year. And we are the largest and most, um, I think, uh, well-recognized as well as probably the best funded of the various energy efficiency organizations that exist around the world. What makes us so successful and has given us the staying power is that we truly are an alliance. We bring together policy leaders, business leaders, academia, and then the public interest sector to work together to advance energy efficiency. Um, and this slide that you're looking at now just really showcases that the Alliance to Save Energy is an organization that brings together policymakers. The pictures of the folks that you are seeing are current sitting members of the U.S. Congress um, from both the House of Representatives and from the Senate. And you likely will recognize a number of them because we have some of the leading voices on energy and environmental policy helping us to advance our mission, including Senator Jeff Bingaman, who is the chair of the Senate Energy Committee, his colleague on the Republican side, the ranking member, Lisa Murkowski. Uh, and I think it's also very interesting if you look at the folks that are there, we really, we're not just nonpartisan, but we actually represent every spectrum of the political um, of the political sphere. So we have people that are as left-leaning and as liberal, if you will, as an Ed Markey from Massachusetts to those that are completely on the other end of the spectrum, very conservative Republican members from Texas, for example, like Dr. Mike Burgess. Our board also includes environmental leaders and leaders from all sectors of the economy. Uh, so as you can see from this picture um, and the, the titles under the folks, uh, we have folks from the energy supply side of the equation, helping us to advance energy efficiency, as well as big box retailers like Best Buy, as well as leading environmentalists like the president of NRDC, uh, Francis Beinecke, all coming together and all working together to advance energy efficiency. In addition, we are a non-government organization. We are directed by our board, uh, which is elected. But we also have an arm that we call our associates program, which is participation by businesses, government, and other public interest groups. And you can see here a number of the logos of, of various folks that are represented in our 175 plus diverse organizations that make up the Alliance's, um, the Alliance's associate program. Uh, the associates work with us in the policy advocacy work that we do, the research work, in uh, our consumer education and outreach campaigns, and in our educational programs that span uh, kindergarten level all the way through the university. We're very, it's very important, I think, and we're very fortunate that the businesses go across all economic sectors. So you will see uh, organizations and companies that are involved in the built environment and making it more energy efficient in transportation and in the industrial sector. Well, why energy efficiency and what have we accomplished and why do I say that energy efficiency is the first fuel for the United States and is our largest and most abundant resource? Since the alliance was formed in the 1970s, our studies indicate that the advancements that we've made in technologies, that the uh, public policies that we've put in place from appliance standards to vehicle uh, fuel economy standards to building energy codes have resulted in offsetting the need for about 52 quads of energy to power our economy. So if you look at this chart, it shows that currently and today to run our economy, we if we were to run our economy without all of the advancements that we have made to date in energy efficiency, we would need 52 quads more just to have the lifestyle, the GDP, the economy that we have today. So energy efficiency currently is delivering more to power our economy than any other single resource. And that includes King Coal, petroleum, and all of the uh, uh, all of the imported petroleum products that we use, as well as natural gas and others. So truly, energy efficiency has had a quiet history of huge success. But there are imperatives that mean that we have to do more. Um, I think probably everyone on this call 
understands uh, to a fairly well that energy use is directly linked to greenhouse gas emissions. This is a, a chart from the United States, uh, but largely similar to other parts of the world. Um, Energy-related carbon dioxide emissions are very significant, and to the extent that we can reduce the use of energy uh, that currently primarily is being uh, provided through carbon-based resources, we will be able to reduce CO2 emissions. Very importantly, though, if we want to enhance our national security, uh, reducing energy demand is a very, very good way to do that. Uh, we, without checking the growth in energy demand, we are going to need to, uh, to expand um, our imports of foreign sources of energy, and we also will hurry the day when we no longer will have the fossil fuels available to power our economy. In addition, and again, I think very importantly, everyone's focused on the economy currently uh, because it's so, so bad. Um, energy waste comes with very, very high costs. There's work that's been done by the McKinsey Global Institute that says that if we just continue with business as usual, using energy the way that we do now and not investing in energy efficiency, we are going to waste $1.2 trillion of unnecessary costs on energy. And that, of course, comes commensurate with an increase and in an unnecessary um, uh, unnecessary emissions of CO2 and unnecessary imports of foreign fuel to, uh, to really uh, to, to fuel that appetite for energy. The good news is for energy efficiency, notwithstanding how much we've done to date, there are still enormous opportunities to expand and to implement and deploy energy efficiency. This chart is, again, work done by the McKinsey Global Institute, and the top line that you see is 2020 base demand if we just continue with business as usual. As you can see, there are opportunities to reduce that demand in every sector of the economy, the economy in both the residential and commercial building sector, and those two combined are where we have the greatest opportunities to reduce, but also in transportation and in the industrial um, in the industrial sector. It's very important to note that these potential reductions are all accomplished and accomplishable, if you will, through investments uh, in energy efficiency that are cost-effective and that are available technology. And what I mean by cost-effective is that the investments that are necessary to capture and to realize these reductions in energy use are ones that have an internal rate of return of 10% or greater. And again, these are not technologies that have to be developed and then commercialized. These are technologies that are on the shelf and that are available today. Um, if you look at what we can do in terms of cutting global energy demand, you can see it goes from 2.2% to about 0.7%. And I think if you want to put that in relative terms, that's about 150% of what of the entire U.S. energy consumption today. So this is very, very significant global opportunity to drive energy efficiency in a way that helps the economy. It's also, uh, according to the McKinsey Global Institute, a, a no-regrets climate policy. If you look at this very busy chart, this shows you the various abatement curve strategies that cost up to about $75 a piece that would get you halfway to where you need to be um, to uh, avoid a two-degree climb in uh, the temperature. If you take a look at the left-hand side of the chart, most of these activities are in the energy efficiency field, whether that's fuel economy improvements for light trucks or commercial building CFC lighting. But if you take a, a look at what, what's being suggested here, you'll notice that all the bars go below the zero line. And what this means is these are investments, these are costs that actually return more to the economy than they cost to make. So these are improvements. This is a way to get us toward uh, where we need to be, according to the scientists, to avoid cataclysmic uh, consequences in the world's climate. Uh, we can get there 
uh, with investments that actually return and have a yield that will improve our economy while we're improving our environment. But it's not happening right now to the extent that it needs to. And, and why is that? And I've loaded up this slide with some of those, uh, those market distortions, those challenges that we face. Um, there's split incentives. That's right in the middle. Uh, the people that are building the homes that folks are occupying are, are not the ones that are going to be living there. And they don't have an incentive to build that home to be as efficient as possible. The same thing happens with a landlord-tenant in a commercial uh, building or a residential apartment building. There's misinformation that's out there. There are uh, sometimes um, there's an upfront, an additional upfront cost uh, for more energy efficient products, which of course you will recoup over the life of that product, but folks don't understand that buying a 25 cent light bulb will result in them paying $65 more in energy to power that light bulb over its life than they would if they bought a CFL. So there's a lot going on in the marketplace that's keeping us from making these very important and these very cost-effective investments in energy efficiency. Fortunately, there are those that are getting it, that are understanding that energy efficiency is not just a way to improve the environment, but it's also a way to improve the, the bottom line. I put Walmart up because they are a global force to be reckoned with. They are in the United States the single largest uh, user of electricity behind the federal government. And you can see here that they've been working on energy efficiency for quite a while. Uh, they are saving uh, enough energy currently to power 23,000 homes across the United States. They've reduced their energy load over the course of the last 10 to 15 years by up to 20%. One of the things that we like as the Alliance to Save Energy that Walmart is doing is that they're not just taking care of their own house but they're leading by example. And they are putting in place sustainability and efficiency requirements and criteria for their suppliers and their vendors around the world. And so they are helping others uh, to improve the efficiency of their own operations and, and having an impact well beyond the doors of their stores and their corporate headquarters. Uh, at the bottom of the slide, I put in some of the technologies that are helping Walmart to get there, just to, to make the point again, that technologies exist today that can allow us to become much more energy efficiency, efficient. This is not new technology that we have to wait for. It's really on the shelf. Dow Chemical Company is another leader in this area. Uh, they, again, are like the Alliance, a longtime player in the energy efficiency game. And since 1990, they've reduced their energy intensity by 38%. Uh, you can see here that it's the equivalent of all the electricity needed to power the residential buildings in California for one year. So one company is making a very tremendous difference. I think the one thing that I really like to point out about Dow Chemical is that when they first put in their efficiency goals, which were 20% in a 10-year period, they were not sure how they were going to achieve those goals. They just knew that that's what they, they needed and wanted to achieve. And they invented their way into that. And not only did they meet the 20% goal, but they exceeded it. So the current goals they're working on is a 25% improvement over that. So they are looking over the course of the next six or so years to have reduced their energy intensity by fully 45% or more. Uh, so they're not stopping. They keep finding new ways and they're innovating ways to put energy efficiency in. And so finally, we'll take a look at Best Buy as another company that is doing a lot in the whole sustainability field, um, but is using energy efficiency as a backbone for achieving those sustainability goals. And you can see that they've conserved over a billion kilowatts of energy. Um, they've avoided 1.6 billion pounds of CO2. And again, I think very importantly, they are helping consumers to save money on the products that they are buying through the Energy Star and other programs. Uh, I've put innovation matters at the head of theirs because Best Buy is actually looking at business opportunities in the energy efficiency world. They will be opening three um, model store elements in uh, San Francisco, Chicago, and Houston uh, where they actually will be focusing and showcasing 
products for the home that can help homeowners to become more energy efficient. And they're also looking at getting into the electric vehicle uh, recharging business. So they really are not just, uh, not just practicing what they preach in terms of energy efficiency, but they're building new business models and new business scenarios around this very important first fuel of the U.S. Investment matters in terms of, of driving energy efficiency, as you've seen. Uh, it's going to, you know, an investment of $170 billion worldwide uh, will yield net savings of about $900 billion a year. One of the key uh, investors in the business of energy efficiency and delivering it are the utility and natural gas industries. industries. And what you're looking at here is a chart that shows that investment is really being stepped up. This is figures for the U.S. and Canada. And you can see that we uh, basically have more than doubled investment by that sector over the course of the last four years. And those figures are expected to rise even in the midst of this very poor economy. Uh, it may be worth mentioning that there are several states that are leading this effort. Uh, if, you, if you look at the seven and a half uh, billion dollars, 2.7 billion of that is coming from four states. So more than 50% of the investment is coming but from four states, and those states are California, New York, Florida, and Massachusetts. Um, it, it's also interesting to note that, you know, just in terms of the, the uptick in the investment, there are six states in the U.S. that have more than doubled their, 20, doubled their investment in 2010 just compared to last year. So this really is an area where we are seeing a, a, very, uh, a very solid and a very aggressive change for the better in terms of putting money into energy efficiency uh, as opposed to putting it simply into new generation. Investment is happening around the world. This is work uh, and some figures that come from HSBC Global. Uh, you can see here that uh, they are estimating, and this is work that was done in 2009, that uh, global revenues from climate-related businesses are rising very significantly. I put in red energy efficiency, uh, some information on energy efficiency from that study, because I think it's very important that when you look at the investments that are being made in climate-related business, in clean energy, that the, the biggest yield, the best return, is coming from energy efficiency. And you can see there that the return, according to HSBC, is 30%. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, it's a very important, uh, an important element of investments and in, in a keen understanding of, of countries as they're investing in the clean energy environment that this is a good investment. So if you look at what happened with the green stimulus dollars around the world when those were put in place, more than half of those dollars uh, are being spent on energy efficiency activities and products. If you take a look at where that money, the green stimulus dollars, are coming from, you look at the left-hand side, and that's actually uh, the amount of money that's being spent out of stimulus dollars by the various countries. And you can see that the U.S. Uh, is doing very, very well in terms of actual dollars spent. But if you look at those dollars, which the right-hand side of the chart does, uh, as a percentage of the overall investment in stimulus activities, the U.S. ranking is, is relatively low, particularly compared to areas like the EU, China, and South Korea. Uh, so we're spending a lot, but in relative terms of, of what we're spending overall to improve the economy, uh, we are not doing as well as some of the other countries around the world. This is a look at what we are doing in the U.S. Um, with respect to energy efficiency through the stimulus dollars. This is energy efficiency in the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act. Um, and you can see here that our studies indicate that we're going to be spending up to $65 billion toward energy efficiency in a number of areas, everything from the smart grid to research, development, deployment activities, to weatherizing uh, homes all across the country. I said I was going to spend some time on, on public policy. And I, I think that you know, from our vantage point and from what we see and all the game changers that are out there, uh, public policy is a key uh, foundational element to being able to drive energy efficiency at scale and at speed. And when you look at public policy approaches, 
they're very different in different cities, in different states, in different countries, uh, but they tend to have four key base elements, different approaches, but in four areas. First, there has to be investment in research, development, and deployment. Uh, we need to keep the pipeline open for new technologies and keep finding ways to bring new and more energy efficient technologies forward, whether that's vehicles, whether that's electronics, whether that's white goods in the home, we need, and lighting, uh, we need to continue to invest to improve technology. Once that technology has been developed, if it's going to gain a foothold in the market, it often needs incentives, and those can come in various ways, rebate programs, tax incentives uh, to consumers to purchase the more equipment, uh, more efficient equipment, or to the producers, the manufacturers of that equipment to get them to produce the higher end um, technologies. Once we have that technology into the market, then getting it to be on a level playing field with the other less efficient uh, products is something that, that requires education and outreach. And a, a prime example of that is the Energy Star program in the United States, letting people know through a very iconic uh, and now highly recognized label that the technology, that the product that they're buying is the most efficient in that brand uh, or that, that category, excuse me, of, of product is a way to begin to really penetrate the market. Once you have widespread penetration of efficient products, then comes the last in this cycle of public policy, and that's locking in those savings by only allowing the efficient products to stay in the market and having putting codes and standards in place that require a minimum level of energy efficiency in whatever cat product category that happens to be. Again, whether that's cars, whether that's buildings uh, in the instance of building energy codes, or whether it's washers and dryers. Um, and this cycle can be then repeated. So once you've locked in a level of energy efficiency, then you know that you're providing a more efficient product to the marketplace, and we can go back and invest in making that same product even more efficient in the future. So this is a, a continual loop, if you will, of public policy that can really help to drive innovation and get energy efficiency into the marketplace. I put this slide up to show that these public policies really matter. If you look at that top green line, the dotted line, that actually was the projection by the Energy Information Administration, DOE's Energy Information Administration in the year 2000 of what the growth in energy demand would be in the United States. And the green line is what they uh, are now projecting, that the, what they're currently projecting the growth in energy demand to be along with what actually happened. And if you take a look at public policies that were put in place, the EPACT 2005 that had some, uh, some modest energy efficiency provisions in it, then you start getting to the real ticket items like the Energy Independence and Security Act, which was projected to reduce energy demand in the U.S. Uh, by about 9% and then to the investment in energy efficiency and the other programs that were put in place for energy efficiency in the stimulus bill, you can see that actual demand and now projected demand is significantly lower. Of course, there are economic factors that are at play in this as well, um, but, the, uh, but there is, is definitely an impact from the public policies, the appliance standards, the building energy codes, the vehicle emissions, or the vehicle economy standards that were put in place are having an impact on demand. I want to just spend a couple of moments talking about some of the innovative um, public policies that are on the docket today and being looked at at the federal level. The first is property assessed clean energy bonds. Uh, this is an innovative financing mechanism um, that is put in place that allows for whether they're renewable or energy efficiency projects at the residential or the commercial side of the house to be paid through property tax assessments. Um, these assessments are permanently affixed to the property, meaning that if you sell your house and that debt is not yet repaid, it will convey to the new owners. Um, the underwriting must validate the investment in these instances. This is a 
uh, a financing tool that has really swept the United States over the course of the last couple of years. This chart shows that 27 states just since 2008 have passed PACE legislation that will enable communities to float municipal bonds, to raise the revenue, to provide this kind of innovative financing. The difficulty is that um, the, the federal housing authorities, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, have issued guidance um, that is really uh, uh, put a, 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 a fast, hard stop on what communities are able to do in the residential sector on PACE financing. And so the federal government, in the form of some, uh, I think, very visionary uh, legislators at the, in the Congress, have put forward legislation that is now under consideration uh, that would rescind the 2010 guidance that came out of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the other housing authorities that would uh, that that is stopping PACE legislation and PACE financing uh, from being used in the residential sector in those 27 states. Uh, the legislation, as you see here, would prohibit discrimination against homeowners and communities that are seeking to use this kind of financing. And I think very importantly, though, it also would put in place national program standards uh, that would help to assure that uh, the PACE financing that is made available and is used is used by people that can actually afford to repay uh, that financing uh, and that will keep the program solid and on track. Another bill that's going to be introduced uh, actually tomorrow is something called the SAVE Act. Uh, and what this legislation seeks to do, and it, I'll note that it is being put in place on a, a bipartisan basis by a Republican from Georgia and a Democrat from Colorado. Uh, but what this seeks to do is to, uh, to address the issue in the uh, appraisal process and the mortgage underwriting that fails to look at the energy cost of a home as having an impact on what the value of that property should be and on the potential um, owner's ability to repay the mortgage loan. So this is really looking at trying to value energy efficiency in a home uh, and therefore to help drive uh, builders and home resellers uh, to put more efficient products and to make the building envelope more efficient in the home. Again, this legislation is just being introduced tomorrow in the Senate. One of the major pieces that the Alliance has been working on is, is a, really a comprehensive look at what can be done to drive energy efficiency. And it was introduced by Senator Jean Shaheen, who's our current chair from New Hampshire, and Rob Portman, who's one of her Republican colleagues on the Senate Energy Committee. This bill was reported by the Senate Energy Committee on a bipartisan basis, which is something rare in this Congress. Uh, it does include national goals and support for making dynamic our building energy codes in the United States. It has some finance tools in it, uh, loan guarantees and, and also uh, loan funds, revolving loan funds for the industrial sector. And it looks at federal, federal government as our largest energy consumer in the United States to make it a leader in better energy management. I had put the building energy codes in red because that's a key area that the Alliance and that many members of the Congress are looking at. Uh, as a way to drive energy efficiency at scale in the built, uh, in the built environment sector of our economy. Um, we believe energy building codes are important uh, because they can protect individuals uh, from substandard living and working conditions. They make homes more available. Uh, and these kind of codes can overcome that split incentive that I mentioned earlier, where the builder is only paying the cost on building the building uh, and is going to look to put the, oftentimes look to put the, the least expensive options in without looking at what the costs are to the, the buyers, the homeowners, uh, over the life of that building in terms of energy. We've made great progress in building energy codes after 30 years of, of really almost stagnant improvements of, of 2 and 1% uh, through a code cycle. In the last two code cycles, as this uh, chart indicates, we've seen a 30% improvement in the national model building energy code. Uh, this really is historic and transformational. 
And if all the states in the nation would adopt this model code, because that's the way codes work in the United States, the national model code is established, and then it's up to the states to adopt, and then up to the local communities to enforce uh, and assure compliance with those codes. But if all states adopted those codes, by 20%, you can see what the savings in terms of CO2 and dollars uh, in consumers' pockets and energy use would be. So we are working hard to make sure that those codes are adopted and enforced, uh, because they're only as good as the enforcement, and also to make sure that we continue with this dynamic improvement in the building energy codes, and that's why the Portman-Shaheen bill that I mentioned earlier is so important. Another thing we're looking at is empowering individuals through information. And there's legislation that's been introduced um, in the Senate, uh, again, on a bipartisan basis, that would give consumers access to information on how energy is being used in their home. And studies have indicated that with this kind of information, empowering consumers with simple information about how energy is used in the home can allow them to save between 5 and 15 percent just on the feedback that they are getting. So this is very important and, again, something that we're working on uh, having moved forward. Another key area that I mentioned earlier is, is investment in research, development, and deployment. Uh, here we have a mixed bag that we're looking at at the national level. This is a bit busy, but let me take a second on this chart to say that what you're looking at, uh, investment on the left-hand column, is the continuing resolution plan. So investment for fiscal year 2011 that we're in now, those are the dollars that are allowed by the federal government to spend. If you look at the next column where it says FY12 request, that is what President Obama's administration has asked the funding levels to be for building technologies, for FEMP, which is the federal energy management, for weatherizing homes in the coming fiscal year, uh, or in the, the fiscal year that actually has already begun, because um, we're behind in getting the appropriations bills done. Uh, but it's a significant, significant increase, as you can see. It goes up by, uh, uh, by what, I'm looking at it now, almost a, almost a billion dollars uh, in the total EERE budget. Uh, but if you look at what the House has passed, those numbers are very significantly lower than not only what the President has requested, but also than what we had in place through the continuing resolution. The Senate uh, has taken action only through the committee level, not at the floor level. And you can see that while the numbers are better than they are um, in the House, they are still significantly lower in most instances than what the President's administration had proposed. So what we're looking at in terms of what's going to actually happen here is somewhere, most likely, will be somewhere between what the House has passed and what the Senate committee has recommended. Uh, so funding uh, is going to be very, very difficult given the budget deficit and the, uh, the mood of the Congress now to try to focus on cutting that deficit rather on investing in things like energy efficiency. Which takes me to my crystal ball. Um, I think if you look at what's going on at the federal level, you have an Obama administration that even before uh, he came into office uh, was hyper-focused on energy efficiency. We, we like to call uh, President Obama our greatest energy efficiency champion, and I've put here just a couple of things uh, that they've either done or are trying to do through the administration. Weatherizing a million homes a year is a goal that they have through the Recovery Act. Uh, they're not achieving that yet, but they certainly are on a march toward that goal. Uh, they have put out a, uh, a goal of improving existing commercial buildings by 2020. The president just did that earlier this year and is seeking to provide uh, funding to support that and is seeking to engage on a voluntary basis uh, commercial building owners and operators all across the country. Uh, they've done yeoman's work on appliance, vehicle, and equipment standards, and they're seeking to to really increase the investment in energy efficiency. But that's being done against a backdrop of a very significant deficit, a very bad economy, and a back-to-basics Congress, a Congress that is, uh, is not prone toward putting in place regulations. Uh, we've seen this play out in the light bulb standards and a, 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 a move to seek to repeal those. Uh, they're pro-tax reform and tax relief, uh, but writ large, so trying to get tax incentives 
for energy efficiency, even when those are small or modest, is, is proven to be quite challenging. They are pro-national security, uh, and it's been proven and I think is understood by, uh, by policymakers on both sides of the aisle that energy efficiency contributes to our national security. And the same thing goes on the economy, uh, and they are pro-incentives. So I think if you add this mix together, uh, what we're looking at and what our hope and what we're working on at the Alliance uh, and, other, and with other energy efficiency advocates is looking for those low-cost energy efficiency policies, like I've mentioned earlier, between the SAVE Act, the ENO Act, the Energy Independence and Security Act, looking at how many of those we can marshal through this Congress, and looking at trying to hang on to federal funding at about where it is currently, if not just a little bit lower, rather than wholesale budget swings that whack programs out uh, of existence that are currently actually delivering more to the economy uh, than they're costing American taxpayers. So I think I'll stop with that. Thanks, Terry. That was great. Uh, we got quite a few questions here, um, so we'll spend about uh, 10 minutes here um, fielding them to you. Uh, our first question from Chris um, was wondering, could you please talk about the, uh, the role of large financial, institu financial institutions and banks in providing private capital for energy efficiency, and in particular, like whether or not the Alliance has done any work in trying to work directly with banks to help encourage investment in energy efficiency, or maybe even trying to convince um, large banks to create an energy efficiency asset class? Right, yes. Uh, thanks for that, Joe. Uh, yes, we are working with the major financial institutions. Both Bank of America and Citigroup are actually associate members of the Alliance to Save Energy. Uh, Bank of America is really interesting because they have done so much work internal to their own operations. They're one of the largest commercial uh, property owners in the world, and they have very, very aggressive uh, and very successful energy efficiency programs across their whole building uh, portfolio. Uh, but the getting the banks engaged and um, providing, providing innovative financing has been, um, it's been challenging. And they're still working through it. We've had meetings and, and have had discussions with Citigroup um, as recently as about three weeks ago. Uh, and I think there is a, a real desire to figure out how the banks uh, and these large financial institutions can play a role. Uh, but as any good banker will do, they're looking at how they can make money off of that. One of the difficulties um, that we've got with large financial institutions is trying to get projects and programs that are big enough to really excite their interest. Um, so you know, bundling projects and having, um, uh, having large portfolios of properties like the Walmarts, like the Best Buys and others are, are really you know, where I think that they're going to go to start this game, to find where big investments can be made, where, uh, you know, where there's an opportunity to make money. And I think we're just not there yet. Uh, so I'm giving a bit of a, a squishy answer, but I think that's because it's a, a squishy game right now in terms of how deeply involved uh, and how widely involved these financial institutions are going to be able to become in energy efficiency. Great. Thanks, Terry. Um, our next question comes from Sebastian, and he'd like to know, um, could you talk a little bit more about what work the Alliance is doing on the international front, um, both in terms of working with European organizations and countries and trying to promote their best practices here in the U.S., and also um, what the Alliance is doing maybe to help emerging economies um, to kind of you know, develop best practices on their end and ensure energy, efficiency develop energy efficient development? Sure, sure. Um, thanks. Well, with respect to Europe, a couple of things. We, uh, this, this past year, helped to stand up a sister organization like the Alliance. It's called the European Alliance to Save Energy. Uh, its website is eu-ase.org, uh, and it's modeled after us. So there are sitting members of the European Parliament uh, on the board of directors, as well as uh, being joined by leading uh, business CEOs and CFOs uh, from European headquartered but multinational companies. Um, and they are focused, as we are in the United States, a lot on public policy. In fact, they're exclusively focused on public policy right now because they're so young and, and that we obviously here in the United States um, and the Alliance to Save Energy that's headquartered here do a lot more work beyond the policy arena. Um, so 
that is what we've been able to do with in the creation of that is to begin to share best practices uh, between Europe and the United States um, and also to bring to the European um, market the understanding and best practices from around the world. We held our last international conference that I just invited you to in Orlando was held in Brussels and we brought together uh, folks from more than 40 countries to share best practices. We had uh, a lot of policymakers from all across Europe as well as businesses uh, meeting and getting to know and working with policymakers and business leaders from other parts of the world. Um, we also in Europe are doing work in Eastern Europe. We have an office in Armenia and, uh, uh, excuse me, we have an office in, it's not Armenia, I'll think of just a second, I just had a brain freeze on that one. Um, but we are doing work with policymakers in Eastern Europe, particularly focused around transportation, around heating, dis district heating and cooling, uh, and on the built environment and improving the efficiency of that. With respect to developing countries, we're doing a lot of work with the APEC and APERC, which is the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, I think is what it's called, the, the large Asian um, uh, and uh, industrialized, uh, the large Asian economies and industrialized economies coming together to try to drive best practices. We've done workshops and we've done studies uh, in the transportation arena, in the appliance arena. Um, we also get our hands into the field, if you will. Um, we, we do project-based work in a number of developing countries, uh, particularly around uh, what we call Watergy, the nexus between water and energy use. So we'll go into municipalities and help them to um, deliver potable water, take away wa wastewater more efficiently by closing leaks, by balancing water supplies, by uh, improving uh, and putting in place more efficient motors. We're doing this work in India, in South Africa, in Mexico, uh, and we happen to have offices in all three of those locations. Uh, and it's been tremendously beneficial uh, to develop developing countries who uh, often struggle to provide reliable water service and, and uh, uh, at an affordable cost. And the kinds of changes that we're making through the Water G program uh, often pay back, not in a matter of years or months, but in a matter of weeks. So it's been very important and we help there. Uh, I'll mention Australia, uh, just like in Europe, we've been helping a group of folks over there to form an Australian alliance to save energy modeled on ours. So we really have a, a wide portfolio of activities um, and a lot of it directed at the policy arena, uh, a lot of it directed at sharing best practices around the world, whether that's on building energy codes or it's on uh, delivery of potable water and the taking away of wastewater, uh, and then a lot in the policy arena. Great. Uh, so we got time for one last question. Uh, this question is from Jen, um, and she was wondering if you could go into a little more detail about um, sort of the prospects of the bipartisan support for passing the PACE and the SAVE legislation uh, that you kind of discussed in your presentation. Um, we know that the AAC is pretty active um, in the Capitol, and you guys just held a policy summit a couple weeks ago. So we were hoping you could talk a little bit more about sort of the role of the alliance and um, how you sort of work with the legislators to promote this legislation. Sure. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the, the crystal ball is cloudy. Um, on whether or not we're going to be able to get something done. You know, we've got the super committee meeting right now and focused on um, how we're going to uh, reduce the deficit. Uh, you have a continuing and, and just really an unprecedented level of partisanship in the Congress. And you have a, uh, you have a, a real problem, well, you've got several real problems, but uh, one that I will mention is that you know the way the rules in the Senate are, uh, unless you can get uh, uh, two-thirds vote so that you can get by a filibuster, uh, you effect, in effect are stymied from doing anything. And so I think for us, the, for the efficiency advocates, you know, there's large bipartisan support. I mentioned the energy independence and um, uh, the Energy Investment and Security Act that has been introduced by Shaheen and Portman got through the Senate on a bipartisan vote of 18 to 3, 
to the Senate Energy Committee on a bipartisan vote of 18 to 3. Um, but it's not on the agenda to be brought up on the Senate floor currently. And the, you know, the leadership is looking at what kind of bills to bring up, what might be able to be passed, uh, and it's, you know, is it going to be something as narrow as that and just on energy efficiency, or is it going to take that bill plus a couple of the others, the SAVE Act, the ENO Act, and, and marry those together and put an all energy efficiency bill forward, or are we going to try to do something broader, which um, you know, I think that the Senate Energy Committee that's passed a lot of bills this year on a bipartisan basis would like to do. You know, how is that going to play out? Um, the more pieces and provisions that are in a bill, uh, the more it is likely that there will be demands um, by policymakers to add controversial measures on the supply side um, or on conventional fuel side. So I think it, it's, it's very difficult right now to see how you get something through the Senate, um, first of all, and then the takes me to the second problem, which is how do you get something through the Senate that you can also get through the House? Uh, there's just such a different mindset between the two bodies right now, and uh, I think a, a, a very different focus. Um, so things that you may be able to get through the Senate and you may actually be able to get uh, to cloture and get a, a, just a straight up or down vote on uh, are not likely to fare so well in the House. And so it's difficult to see the way clear. Having said that, I don't want to be overly pessimistic because I'm quite optimistic that if we can get some energy efficiency legislation to move forward to the floor in the Senate, we actually have a chance of getting it to the President's desk. Uh, again, it's as I said in the, the, my forecast slide, I think it's got to be not too expensive, not too large, uh, not too uh, federal regulation heavy. Uh, as viewed by you know the, the folks that are, are anti-big government. Uh, and if we can meet those kinds of criteria, then I think we actually can get something done. And the reason I think that is because there's a, a pretty much a, a widespread understanding that anything you do on energy efficiency is going to help the economy. It's going to help um, our national energy security situation. Uh, and oh, by the way, it's going to help the environment too. So since it's a win-win-win, uh, it gets really hard for people to say no. Uh, with respect to how we deal with the Congress, we're working all the time with our, our 13 members uh, who are on our board of directors and all of the folks up on Capitol Hill from both the Republican and the Democrat side that are advocates of energy efficiency. Uh, we also work with environmental groups, with businesses, uh, with other efficiency advocates and form coalitions and and do you know, all of the, from grassroots lobbying to pounding the, the halls of the Congress, just making sure that people understand uh, the opportunities that we're missing by not putting in place federal policy that allows us to drive energy efficiency into the economy. Great, thanks. That was a really honest assessment. Um, appreciate that. Uh, we have quite a few more questions, but unfortunately, um, all of the students here, we have to go to class. Um, so we'll have to uh, let our audience go here. Um, I'd like to thank Terry again um, for joining us today for our kickoff talk um, and taking time out of her busy schedule to join us. Um, I know you guys have a big uh, board meeting coming up next week. I just want to let our audience know um, that this talk will be made available through um, our iTunes uh, University link um, on, at the Yale site. If you just search for the phrase Blueprint for Efficiency, you'll be able to find us. Um, the presentation itself will be uploaded to our website um, just in a couple of days, um, but it takes a little bit longer for the entire webinar to get processed and up on iTunes U.